Hi there, and welcome to episode two of a theatre podcast from a drama school dropout. As per usual, I'm Ingram Noble, and I'm your host, and today I've got a very, very exciting guest on today. Today we have one of my old lecturers, Leah Muahouse. Hello. Hiya, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm not so bad, not so bad. It's just mental at the moment, isn't it? Uh, it's absolute madness. Uh, everything that we're having to do um, to adapt all our work to fit around COVID restrictions, it's its just insane at the moment. I can imagine it must because I, I understand like when even when I was there, when we weren't doing COVID, everything was still mental and you were always yeah. running around. Well, like, try cramming the, the same amount of work into one day. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I'm so glad that I sort of went through the system when I did and wasn't like restricted by covid yeah well i do feel at the moment like i think it's very brave people coming in and doing it right now i mean i suppose some people might be tempted to to pack it in and come back on a year when you know the restrictions aren't in place because you as you can imagine with an actor how do you teach a subject that involves so much touching and proximity when you're not allowed to do that like especially like we'll we'll talk about it later when we were doing Macbeth. like how how are we getting on stage kisses and things now because we can't do what the big soaps are doing and yeah well right now we have on stage effects. poking people with a stick from a distance because that's all we're allowed to do <laughs> so um the first thing that i want to talk about is you have been you were my lecturer from the years of 2016 to 2019 last year yep i survived a, a long a long bait three years of having to deal with me how what's your secret how did you put up with me Eh, you grew on me, I think is the main thing. <laughs> I think I spent the, the first couple of months wanting to throttle you. Um, and then I still want to throttle myself sometimes. Well, I think you, you just started to focus a wee bit more. I think you naturally, because you're quite a big personality, and it's not just yourself. A lot of students who study acting are like that. It's a big personality, and you come in with this, this need to sort of be big and, and be good and do yeah. everything immediately and of course it wasn't quite happening like that and when you realise that it was okay to make mistakes that's when you started improving so oh, we yeah. got rid of but, the whole hyper confident thing and then you sort of yeah. eased into it and you you got so much better as a result of it because I definitely remember sort of having a mental breakdown and crying after the first ever movement piece we did uh yes <laughs> yeah so the first thing I want to talk about is the first time we ever met which was my first ever audition for college so we had to do um, a classical monologue and a contemporary monologue. And I had to do an essay, which I think I'd done on Bianca Del Rio's show, um, but I can't really remember. So I didn't do very well in my first audition. No. So I did a Macbeth monologue, that the very famous Is This a Dagger monologue. And then because I was sort of, I'd, I'd been out of acting for a while, I chose to do a film monologue, mm-hmm. which didn't go down so well with you. It it depends what it is that someone's looking for. With the colleges at the moment, it's predominantly theatre acting that we teach. We have maybe yeah. the odd subject that deals with screen acting, but it's a completely different kettle of fish. Uh, the way yeah. that the monologues appear um, in a film or in a TV programme are very different to how they appear in a play. So it's very hard to show off your skills in something that's supposed to be so drawn back and subdued. It doesn't necessarily sell you very well. Um I would never say to someone, no, you would not get in based on that. But it does quite often for us make the difference between NC and the HM programs. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're talking about like skill level and thing, it's probably good that I did a film monologue because if we're being realistic, I had no real skill there that I could show off. So at least well, it was like, oh, maybe I wouldn't it's say just that, a bit shit. <laughs> I wouldn't say that monologue. it's not 
I don't think it's that you didn't have skill. I just don't think you had the right material and tools to find the stuff that would show it off. Uh huh. So if anybody's out there listening, we're obviously we're getting into the the point of the year now where we won't be auditioning in person, but we'll be doing a lot of video auditions. I know mm-hmm. I will be for uh, drama schools and things next year. What would be like the number one tip from an acting lecturer that you could tell anyone that's listening? Be over prepared. Uh, if you're whatever piece you're doing, no matter what it is, you have to have read the play and know quite a lot about it. it for two reasons. One of which you could be asked about it and you don't want to be caught out. The second of all, though, I think is that obviously throughout acting, one of the most important things is the background story of your character. Why are they there? What are the given circumstances? And if you haven't thought about any of that, no one's going to believe what you're doing on stage. Once in a while, someone can wing it and come up with something that works, but it's more by luck than good management. Yeah. Uh, I would also say come in with more text than you are required. So if you're asked for one classical and one contemporary, I'd have four prepared, so two classicals, two contemporary. So if for whatever reason one of yours isn't working and they say, well, I just wasn't sure about this, you can say, well, I do have another option if you'd like to see it. The more prepared you are, the more ammunition you've got to kind of help yourself and get yourself through it. I know that the most successful people I found whenever I went to drama school auditions back in the day uh, were people that had come (laughs) in over-prepared and had things like, oh, well, I can show you this if you'd like to see this. It's about versatility and being able to show that. That's the thing that I definitely found as well going through because I've already auditioned like one cycle of drama schools. I, I found that I really wasn't prepared and I, I I think I thought that I was more confident than I was and I, mm-hmm. I thought I could wing it, which isn't the case. Well, put it this way, you have to be incredibly experienced to be able to successfully wing something. Yeah. Uh, there will be actors, I'm pretty sure like your, your Ian McKellen's of this world could probably walk into an audition and do a, an incredibly stellar job, but he's been yeah. doing it for a long time. Yeah, um, not somebody who's been sort of seriously studying it for three years. Well, if you're auditioning for drama school, chances are you don't have a massive amount of experience and anything you do have uh-huh. is probably an Amdram. So it's it's about kind of realising that there is this gap here. You're not you're not Lawrence Olivier yet. Just give yourself a second. How rude. I'm offended. <laughs> I think as well, you also need to pick the correct material. So many people will pick something where their, yeah. their character's reading a, a letter and it's like, well, uh-huh. that gives you nowhere to go. You need to have... Some, something to that actually work with like a constant critique of mine throughout like um graded units and things i, I always wanted to do like oh th- this boy has just got a letter from his mum who lives five thousand miles away and he's sitting in his bedroom on his own reading it yeah and there's just not there's not enough there to and i i think i learned that slowly towards the end yeah i did something uh, right then so yeah yes i i actually i think i learned a lot while i was at college and i, I definitely I'm still a bit overconfident, but who isn't? You need to be to be an actor. You need to have some blind faith in yourself or you'll never get through it. Everyone has to have a bit of an ego. Mine's just slightly larger than everyone else's. Become a teacher. That'll just (laughs) soon sort your ego out, I tell you. (laughs) So another thing that I wanted to talk about while we're on the topic of auditions is when we were in, I was in first year of college, we did Bull by Mike Bartlett and Stone and Mary by Debbie Tucker Green. Mm-hmm. And I remember auditioning and we auditioned in pairs and I just didn't do a good job. And I, I can imagine that you can remember. And I remember sort of we were having like a group feedback session after all the auditions had ended. And I was like one of the first that had sort of got their feedback. And I remember sort of sitting there getting my feedback and holding in tears mm-hmm. for like the the whole time that everyone else was sort of getting. And then I left. And then obviously you sort of found me later, like in just a massive mess. Yeah. Um, 
something that you said to me afterwards, like as soon as I'd read this play, you you were always going to play Carter anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like an important thing, especially the way that I was feeling. I sort of came to terms with it like really quickly. But it does like necessarily, if you're in acting school and the lecturer knows you really well, do the auditions actually count as much? Because yes. obviously you have a sort it's, of predetermined idea of who's going to play who. It's a difficult situation, right? Because you've got different things that you need to take into consideration. Because from a sort of a college perspective, you want to reward someone who puts in a lot of work and goes above and beyond and is showing commitment. And that yeah. is something that we do want to do because you'll know yourself that unreliable people are the people you don't want working on shows because they're impossible they're never in so you want someone who's reliable and you want to reward that however we also are preparing you for the professional world and in the professional world you will only get cast if you are the best person for that part yeah and so occasionally pretty much every time I do casting actually some people I will have a definite idea of this is where I want them to go and unless they do something really drastically bad um that is not going to change like that's where I see them that is yeah. where they like fit in whereas there's other characters that perhaps in the auditions I haven't thought of someone for a character but they come in and they do amazing monologue and I'm like oh actually you potentially could do that yeah so, so it's really there is like a predetermined idea but it's very much all up in the air yeah. depending on what people do well I need to pick something in the in the beginning anyway could I fit everyone in it could this work with everybody in it so I do a provisional casting and say, right, well, this could work if I do it this way. Then I'll go in and do the auditions. And there's always about three or four characters that change around based on how people do in the yeah. auditions. Because don't forget, I've been working with people like all year by that point. So I know people's uh-huh. strengths and weaknesses. It's not going in like I've never met you before. Uh-huh. I understand what it is I'm looking for. Um, so with that, like you were just happened to be perfect for that character. Yeah. Because I remember that I really, really wanted, um, was it Tom, the cat yeah. Thomas? Mm-hmm. And I'd sort of had my heart set on it. And it, it really did teach me like a valuable lesson that I'm not always going to get that part that I want. Because I think I'd been really lucky previously that in our first year production, I got the part that I wanted. And I was sort of used to that. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it came around to doing it again, I was quite, I was ready when we'd done scenes from the big picture. Because I didn't get the part that I wanted. Yeah. So, like we said that you had been my lecturer for three years, uh, Heather and I were talking on the podcast last week and we were talking about your innate ability to make people shit themselves. (laughs) It's a skill. Yeah, so I have three main moments from the three years, one from each year, where I have genuinely been shitting myself because I'd done something or had to tell you something. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, we also mentioned that 10 days before my first year production, when we did DNA by Dennis Kelly, I went to LA. Yes. And I remember telling you, and I still don't quite know how I got away with it. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how you got away with it. You must have caught me on a day where I was feeling less murderous than normal. <laughs> I, I, I did remember I knew for about a week before I told you and tried to pick the correct moment. Yeah, I was not best pleased at no, all. No, but I, I do remember as it got closer to the time of me going away, I remember being kept back uh, after and you just making me run my stuff. Yeah, it's and, um, it's one of the things you just can't do. Like, as I said, people not being in the class is oh, one of the hardest parts. Yeah, so as soon as, like, well, I don't know if you never tried it again. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like, no, you can't. 
I could have literally throttled you. Could you imagine if I'd have came back the next year and by the way, I'm doing the exact same thing again this year? Yeah, I think you'd have just been cut from the show. <laughs> yeah, no, because I, I genuinely sort of expected, because um, obviously when we done DNA, we had somebody come in who hadn't done so well in their Shakespeare production. I was expecting to have mm-hmm. to do two productions the next year. But I'm like really kind of glad that it worked out the way it did. But did you actually learn my lines? Most of them, like, yeah. I'd started learning them. I'd got like a good chunk of it. Because I remember like people like, being like, are you, have you got your lines done? And I was in LA with my script and Ed was still running lines with people that I was with and things. And then I was getting messages like, oh, Leah's learning your lines. You better fucking be good. Well, yeah, no, I started learning them because I didn't want to leave anything to chance. I did, to yeah. be honest, I, I, I trusted you to learn it. I think I'd, I'd scared the shit out of you enough that um, I was fairly confident that you'd be all right doing it. But Oh, no, I knew if I came back from LA and didn't have that shit down I was getting like I was getting murdered Mm -hmm. like I I remember being on the flight back from New York because I flew LA to New York New York to Glasgow I remember sitting on that flight and just running and like I think the seven hours I ran one monologue I was like this has got to be down yeah so the second thing which I think is the scariest out of the three that I've been was during opening night of our first year production uh, we were doing Bull by Mike Bartlett which is set in an office and I had a massive glass decanter on my desk and happened to smash it uh, in the middle of the show and I just remember sitting there because it sort of exploded on me the glass and I remember thinking you've already failed so don't stop yeah, because I, I I was like, you, well, you know, you'd stop. never have failed for something like that. It's how you actually deal with it that's the thing. Um, I mean, if it had been something deliberate, if you picked it up and thrown it at someone, I think I might have felt very different <laughs> about it. But no, like with something like that, you kept going. It couldn't be dealt with at the time. You know, not to do it again. And oh, you weren't trying to. Again. You weren't trying to hit the decanter. You hit the table. It happened to be a knock-on effect. I think I I figured out what happened during all of the rehearsals. I didn't hold it and just let it sort of jump up a bit and land back down. But I got so nervous that on opening night, I like held the decanter and there was nowhere for the force to go. Yeah. And I remember like the glass just sort of, I remember just seeing the top pop off. That was the first thing I noticed and it like rolled across the stage. And then I just sort of looked down and there was glass all over me. And I just remember being like, my first thought was, don't stop, keep going. And I just brushed it off. I didn't even look at my hands to see if I'd cut myself, but we had a really good moment where I fixed the person's tie who I was about to fire um, maybe five minutes later. And I just took extra time there to check that I didn't have any like blood rushing from my uh, yeah. my hands. Well, um, you need to do that anyway, because that's what you do in real life. If something like yeah. that had happened, you wouldn't just not look at your hand. It's it's all about natural responses. But no, I wasn't. I wasn't annoyed with you about that. I think the the guy who owned the decanter might have been a little miffed. But yeah, I think so. Actually, um, I was trying to think who owned it there because I couldn't remember. It was someone's just, dad. Uh, yeah, I remember it now. It, that that was. It was actually the second one that was the really expensive one, the replacement one that we um, managed got not in. to smash. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't do that again, and I remember being outside the theater after the show had ended, and everyone was like, "That was such a good trick. How did you do that?" And obviously it was opening night, so nobody knew that that actually didn't happen in the show. And I just kept my mouth shut. I was like, I'm not telling anyone right now. 
Obviously, everyone knows now. Yes. So then the third one, which happened probably about six months later into second year, was um, I slept in on an audition day. Yes. And to be fair, I was up all night practicing for my audition. That was your issue, though, where you'd stay up that late. Um, And yes, okay, that was prepping it. What you should have done is started (laughs) prepping for it before then, so you didn't have to stay up Uh till four in the morning. (laughs) I did get to college in something like nine minutes from waking up. Looking like you'd just (laughs) fallen out of a hedge or something. Oh, well, I I, I had. (laughs) But I remember being like, because that was always just something that you never sort of put up with, like lateness, and I, I don't tend to be late. And I remember sitting thinking, well, I've fucked it now, especially because I was really confident that I was going to get one of the main roles because we had spoken about Petruchio in Taming of the Shrew and I had sort of had my heart set on Macbeth. So I was sort of confident, it was probably a bit of false confidence, that I was going to get a decent role. And I remember sitting there being like, okay, so now I'm like doorknob or third soldier from the left. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I was so scared. I was like, you fucked it, Ingram. Well, to be honest, your saving grace from that had been how hard you've been working in other classes. Um, I do remember reading you the riot act as soon as I did see you. Um, I, yeah, and then I remember when you cast it because you um you cast Taming of the Shrew first, and I didn't get Petruchio, so I was like fuck. And then you done Macbeth, but Macbeth wasn't the first person that you cast. It was the witches, then Macbeth. And I just remember you like because sw- I was sat at the side of the room and you were in the middle. I remember you swinging around and obviously you've got like really long black hair. I remember that just like flicking, like like really dramatically, like a hair flick. Me being and dramatic, like, never. <laughs> and you were like, if you are ever late, I will rip this off of you faster than you can get into college, which I thought was quite witty at the time. But at the time, I also didn't like outwardly celebrate when you told me I had the role. Like I didn't actually crack a smile until I left mm-hmm. the building. Well, I think other people potentially could have been quite annoyed by it as well, because it is difficult when they had been there and and ready to go, and then we gave you this opportunity. It it was something that, like, it was a massive mistake. I I learned a lesson from it. I've never been late to an audition again. Mm -hmm. And I would have totally, there was, if I wouldn't have got the part that I got, which was Macbeth, I would have totally understood why I didn't get it, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I did fuck up. But Macbeth's always been, and I I mentioned this in the audition when I auditioned for Macbeth for you. Macbeth was something, like I said, I auditioned first in a not-so-good Macbeth monologue. And then, obviously, our last show where you directed me was Macbeth. So that brought everything just full circle for me. And that was, like, that was one of the things that I was most thankful for. Like, I feel like I got to show such a level of growth from my first audition to that last Macbeth show. I mean, yeah. you might disagree and think I was shit, but... No, I would have told like, you if I thought that. <laughs> just a closing night, uh, not very good. No, I think um, I think you, you're sometimes a bit hard on yourself, and I think you worked so hard for that. Um, and obviously it was slightly out of your comfort zone, because you know yourself, you're a, a somewhat exuberant character, we'll say. And Macbeth, the big gay boy from England becomes yeah. the big Scottish masculine warrior. I did think it was funny, out of all the characters, you ended up with the Scottish one, which was weird. Yeah, <laughs> but to be fair, the I... two English people in the class actually ended up in Macbeth. Yeah. Which was funny. Um, But yeah, I, I actually, like, I loved Macbeth. The only part of Macbeth that I didn't love 
was during the choreographing session for the Macduff and Macbeth fights. Oh, when you got headbutted in the face. When I got headbutted in the face and I just started bleeding everywhere. That's still like a random joke that I say. He, he's coming on the podcast so I can name drop him. Um, Connor headbutted me and like it's still a running joke between us. Like anytime like we're having a bit of a joke, I'm like, oh, don't headbutt me again. It looked really good though. That I will. <laughs> yes, do that on the night. Um, <laughs> but I remember just being so scared of doing that headbutt every time after. I think I actually asked you if we could take it out. And I said no. <laughs> I, I think the fight scene looked really good. I really liked it. It was the choking bit against one of the bars I thought looked particularly yes. good. Yeah, that was like, I, I was actually watching the videos because I've still got the original videos. They're not in order for some reason. But when we choreographed it in the class and there's just you in the background going, one, two, three, four. And me and Connor fucking about in a class. But that was like, that was one of the highlights of like my whole college like time was Macbeth. Yeah. And I think you'd done such a good job because obviously we had done Macbeth. I was a tech for your Macbeth, what, two years prior? Mm-hmm. This is a very different version. Yeah. Um, I think something that you always do with your Shakespeare's is you put on like a massive spectacle and can change it. You could probably do Macbeth with three different casts and them all be massively different stories, mm-hmm. if that sort of makes sense. And I, I just always like Macbeth, I still hold it as like the highlight of like my college career. So thank you for trusting me with like a massive role after I was a dick and slept in. You're welcome. <laughs> so at this point we're going to take a, a little break and we've got a little advert promoting my new book so uh, have a listen to this hi there my new play this is where we get off is out now i co-wrote it with one of my good friends and last week's guest heather spiden it's a two male four female play that is a heart-wrenching side splitting comedy that will have you laughing from page to page beginning to end It's a story about how it is to be in a working class family in Northern England. There's trials and tribulations, highs and lows, and I can't wait to introduce you all to these characters. If you're interested and want to learn more about the residents of our fictional village of Bricklethwaite, you can pick up the play at www.welcometobricklethwaite.bigcartel.com and I'm going to put that down in the description because who can spell Bricklethwaite? And as a special offer for all of the listeners of a theatre podcast from a drama school dropout, you can use the code drama school dropout, all one word, no caps, for 10% off. So use the code Drama School Dropout for ten percent off. So welcome back to the podcast, and now we're going to move on a little bit from Macbeth. We're going to go to the total opposite end of the spectrum, and I have the absolute like honor of being able to say that I converted you into a Drag Race fan, or just nagged me to the point that I finally watched it. <laughs> to be fair. I stopped nagging you and then about three weeks later you came and you were like, I've been watching it. Yeah. So have you been keeping up since I left? Uh, I think so. I think I've seen all of them so far and all of the All-Stars ones. I'm loving that you're um, still like, I've, I've left a lasting impact. I know. Well, it's, it's taken up a lot of my time as a result. So you've, <laughs> you've ruined my schedule. It ruined but, my uh, schedule. You don't sleep. I know. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> you don't have a schedule. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, um, so that brings me sort of on to an exciting little segment that I'm trying to do. Uh, it's probably not going to happen every week because they're very difficult to get a hold of. But I have a celebrity question. Okay. So I couldn't get an audio clip because the person just replied to my DM on Twitter. But we have a celebrity question from the runner-up of RuPaul's Drag Race UK Series 1, Davina DeCampo. All right. And Davina wants to know... Did you figure out who she was there? You're like thinking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thinking back. So Davina wants to know, when was the last time we went to the theatre? Last time we went to I'll the theatre? go off. Oh, God. Uh, last time I went to the theatre... I think it must, it's actually, do you know what, it's, it's sad to say, it's probably about a year ago because I've not had the time. First of all, with lockdown being a big issue, um, I think it uh-huh. must have been about a year ago. That's terrible, well, isn't it, when I teach theatre? Well, I'm an acting student and the last time is probably hitting about a year ago. And if we actually think about it, your time was probably the exact same as mine. I came to see the Shakespeare shows at college last year. Yeah. That was the last oh, time I, I went did. to the theatre. Actually, the last time I went to a theatre, I went to see one of my students' plays not long before Christmas, actually. I think about like October, November sort of time. Uh, so I went to see one of their productions. So that was probably the last time I went along. Before that, it tends to be show- I'm in the shows more often than I'm watching them. <laughs> I think that's the problem. So I did yeah. um, an open-air version of Love's Labour's Lost not long before that, and that was the last one. Yeah. So most of the time... Very annoyed that we still didn't get to come and see that. It's in the middle of nowhere. You'd have to be able to drive, I think, to come out and see it. But to Queer House, if anyone wants to come along. I'd have found someone to give me a lift. I will be directing, directing the production there um, at Shakespeare to Queer in 2022. So if anyone wants to come and watch that, it will be in June 2022. Richard III. Can I have a part? Uh, you can come audition. <laughs> on time. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I will be on time this year. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, last time I went to the theatre was to see what you directed, which was uh, Merchant of Venice and Othello, all, like, bashed into one, which was really cool. Oh, the the merging. Not going to lie. Yeah, when I when I heard that you were, like, merging two Shakespeare shows together, I was like, Leah normally knows what she's doing with Shakespeare. Yeah, what's, what's going on? It could have gone one of two ways. I must admit, I did think, I was like, this is going to either work incredibly well or it'd be absolutely shocking. And I was really pleased with what happened at the end of it. I, I lo- well, I came to see it like three times. Yeah. So, and you can barely keep my attention for like 10 minutes. And there was some like really good casting that you had done. Like, I've got to give you the props. I thought that the guy playing Othello in particular was just fantastic, I thought. I was really shocked by the two characters playing Iago. Yeah. Not to take anything away from the guy that was playing Othello, but the two... Um, no, no, they were both really the good. The two actors that played Iago, I was like, fuck, never saw that coming. Well, they're not the type of people you'd normally cast. They were It was out with their casting, but that was based on auditions because they came in and did very good auditions. Also, they're also like people that normally do come in. Like I've, I've sat in on their auditions for their first year play and they always had good auditions. They worked really hard, yes. So now I know we spoke about it a little bit right in the beginning. But what is like, how has drama school changed or acting school since I've been there? Because obviously now we can't do the, the, a lot of what we used to do, like rolling around on the floor and cuddling each other and crying because Leah's shout at us. Yeah. What in terms of, do you mean in terms of like COVID? Yeah. So we're obviously normally about now you're in the middle of, you're probably in show week for Shakespeare shows. Yeah. We were not getting that this year. 
we yeah so the productions we pushed everything back anyway um in the hope that we'll be able to do something with it later on because we knew in block one there was no way we could do anything so we're looking at doing a production um in block two but we're looking at doing an open air shakespeare production yeah. because we don't think we can do it inside which is going to be wonderful in the middle of march uh <laughs> But we're looking at options of places and venues. Just tell everyone to wrap up. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be... Well, yeah, it's more, I think, the audience. Will an audience come along and see it? I don't mind telling the students to suck it up and get on with it. But the... I'll be there, of course. Could you imagine, like, it's it's minus three. And, like, yeah. if we were doing Macbeth again when we had strippers and the girls were like, Leah, it's freezing, you'd be like, fuck off. Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't think if I'm doing an open-air <laughs> version I'll be having any strippers because I think yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. that might be it might att- yeah. attract the wrong if attention. I'm the only one uh, but we are having in to... the audience, I'll be there. You can count. I'll yeah. sit there and I'll clap. Like, Woo! We are having to cut down days as well, though. So at the moment, like, each class, like, so our first-year HN class is split in two. And I teach half the class on the Monday and then the other half on the Tuesday. And then I set them work for the other day that they're yeah. not there. So I'm trying to, um, but I mean, that uses up the same amount of time. So that's four hours worth of the acting unit that we're using, but we have half the time. So you're trying to get through yeah. a lot of stuff at once. So you're, you're basically trying to keep teach the course twice in the same time that you would normally teach it once. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's actually worked out not too bad because the classes are smaller it's quicker to get through things so I've actually covered probably more than I would normally which is it's actually been really beneficial but it's mm-hmm. but yes I'll definitely yes. <laughs> be at um, the open air theatre to see some Shakespeare because I really miss the theatre did you see the the video that was yeah. going around Facebook that was like all of the dancers uh, for saving the arts yeah I cried I think it's it's so important at the moment. It's so difficult because um, there's so many people, I suppose, when it's their their only kind of livelihood and they're relying on it. Yeah. I mean, I know sometimes every every kind of person who teaches something like acting always is a bit like, oh, I would I would love to go perform again and not be teaching, mm-hmm. go be an actor or whatever. But thank thank goodness I wasn't because think of the <laughs> security that I've had. You know, we've been working constantly, even when we were working from home. Uh huh. So that's sort of like, that's a really nice segue. It's almost like you knew what I was going to talk about. Um, if I say the <laughs> word retrain to you, um, what does that mean? Other than a massive slap in the face. Yeah. I. So I have two different opinions on this, right? One is obviously it's a completely insensitive thing to say. It's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, yeah. I mean, there's other jobs as well, like other people that are in a similar sort of circumstance where whatever they're doing at the moment can't work, but anybody who's working freelance in anything else and to say, oh, yeah. go retrain. No one has the money to do that because well, they don't have the money to come in. Because there's no other jobs. <laughs> well, precisely. So it's a ridiculous thing and it certainly it victimizes the arts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a ridiculous situation. However, the other thing that I do think, and it shouldn't be based on what Boris is saying or what anyone else is saying, I do think it's always a good idea for people in the arts to have other things under their belt purely because of the nature of our work. Um, yeah, because you don't know if you're going to have work. So I always think, even forget COVID, like before all of this, it's always good to have something that's a kind of a backup that you can do on top of that. Um, because we were all like the original sort of my original concept for this podcast was going to be um, like actors have already retrained in lots of different things mm-hmm. and like because a lot of actors around the world are working in hospitality which is also just another sector of work that's completely obliterated at the moment 
So yeah. it's it's really it, it it couldn't have come at a worse time for them to hit around with let's all retrain. Yeah. So I, um oh carry on, sorry. No, no, sorry, I just I just say I don't, I don't think they think sometimes about like how much the arts influences what's going on around them and all these things that they whenever they have free time and sit and watch Netflix or or kind of listen to the radio or something like that, it's yeah, because scheduling, I think, has been interrupted so much because they can't produce as many programs at the moment. And so yeah. we're getting lots of repeats of things um, and think eventually we'd run out of stuff. Do you know what I mean? They need uh-huh. to. Like, let's just start EastEnders from the beginning. Yeah. Well, that better of... give them a bit, of, a bit of time to get through. No, I've been saying, like, we Netflix or something like in, but it's never going to happen because they're a massive multi million pound corporation. But in like solidarity with like the arts, they should have like a blackout day where they just don't have their services run. Yeah. But it, it's never going to happen. Like in an ideal world, they'd be like, yes, we stand with actors. We're turning everything off so you can see what it'd be like without the arts. Yeah. But that's just, it's never going to happen. It's too big of a so, company. Yeah. They, they're never going to be like, let's lose millions of pounds <laughs> just yeah. to stand with us. So what we were talking about earlier as well is... um really over like my overconfidence and things at the beginning and the sort of the the growth that I made I know we're jumping really back and forth on a timeline here mm-hmm. um but when I first came into college I was really like enamored with the likes of Little Britain and Catherine Tate and I'm pretty sure you can remember that and mm-hmm. that's the sort of acting that I sort of love to do I, I'm not so comfortable in it now um but I was thinking we could talk about some of the funnier things that I did while we were at college yeah um so the one thing that i remember from nq is we were assigned a continent and i don't know what that notification was i thought i'd um silence my computer professionals over here um we were assigned a continent and had to come up with a movement piece Mm -hmm. which was a great idea i thank you so much for that um and there was a group of four of us and by the end of it two people of our group had dropped out of college and yeah. um, we had Asia, which was not a continent that I wanted in the beginning, but somebody just suggested it. And Leah was like, yeah, you can have Asia. And I just sat there with like a slapped ass all day. And um, I sort of choreographed a thing really last minute between me and this girl that was terrible. Can you remember it? I don't think it was as bad as you thought. There were certainly sections of it that were actually really quite good. Like you did loads of stuff with the table and then it's like you kind of gave up halfway through it. So I lip synced <laughs> to Latrice Royale to make up time. Right. It was yeah. uh, it was like one one minute of, of gold and then uh, like a couple of drunks stoking about the stage. <laughs> I think the main issue with that was when I was trying to choreograph it the morning of because the person dropped out the night before. Um I don't think my partner was too interested. Mm. So I was just sort of like, let's just get through this. And you did. Yeah. And then another funny thing that we both witnessed and we sort of spoke about on the podcast last week um, was the time that a witch fell from two metres in the air. Oh, in Macbeth. Yeah. That will always just stand out as something that I will Oh, I just... Get. Don't give her, I, I shan't say her name, but the, the lady in question, uh, I, I kind of miss because we miss all the stories of said person falling off things, into things, over things, or falling over just standing still. But having a witch uh, yeah, fall down into our pit, swearing as loud as possible <laughs> with a whole bunch of school kids in the audience, and we just heard... Yeah, the night that like, oh, the God. youth Shakespeare school was in. 
Yeah, and so you just hear her screaming profanities as she falls into this pit <laughs> and then her pulling herself painfully out of this pit and trying to carry on with the scene. Because I was under the pit controlling the... And so was Heather. And Heather had been right in the hole where she fell two seconds before. Yep. Had Heather not moved, she would have been fallen onto. I should say this is the same play where Heather got stabbed by this same girl same because she way. misjudged misjudged <laughs> her um, stabbing motions. Or, or is this something to do with your fight choreography? Or is it Macbeth? Uh, well, no, it only <laughs> happened with this particular girl. Is it Macbeth maybe is a bit cursed? Because someone always... Maybe. Loads of people, like, well, it was not through no fault of anybody's own, but like, we all seem to just injure ourselves in Macbeth. Yeah. Like, I got head butted. Then our assistant director, who was not assistant director, um, stage manager who was in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, she hurt her ankle. One of our witches broke her foot because she fell over. Like, <laughs> we were just a really lackadaisical, and it was through nobody's fault. We were all just getting hurt left, right, like we'd be walking along the street and like one of us would just hurt ourselves. I think we said Macbeth too many times in the theatre. Too many the times. Real. The curse yep. is definitely real. So going on to like fun things and talking about like uh, stabbing and other things like that, love that. Um, you were always a lecturer that I found was really fair. Um, so were the other lecturers at college and I've, I've had some since lecturers at university that were not too fair. And you, you and the other lecturers at college always found, like, really cool ways to amp up, like, uh, a unit in college. So, like, I just randomly remember you bringing swords into the class and was like, this time for movement, we're doing sword fighting. Yep. And like, <laughs> well, it depends on who you get. They're always going to have, like, different ideas because I don't... It, if you go to, like, certain places, maybe they don't have someone who does that or... Then again, like with myself, I'm just a bit obsessed with fight choreography. So yeah, they, any excuse for me to stick it in there, I will do. Maybe they don't have a lecturer who for every gift they ever receive like to get some sort of weapon. I do. I love weapons. When your class got me my mace called Winifred. We got you the mace. We got you the yep. drinking horn. I feel like we yep. got you something else. Uh, I you've got me like a big tankard as well. With In fact, I'm sitting right now with a tankard with my initials on it which I'm drinking from at I, the moment. I, I, that was the present that I organised. Mm-hmm. And some people still owe me money for that, so I will be messaging you. And you got me a cheese board <laughs> that says to brie or not to brie. Yeah, but we slowly figured out that your favourite kind of gift to receive was some sort of weapon. Weapons. Well, the year after you got me a lightsaber, a combat lightsaber. I, I, rem- I remember saying, we did look at those, but at the time they were just really, really expensive. Yeah. So, like, again, like, just, I just think back to, like, some of those times that you sort of brought extra stuff in that we didn't need to do, like, things always pop on my Snapchat, like, with just people of, of running at people with swords and things like that, which I think was why you became, like, out of all the three lecturers, like, we loved every one of yous, but there was always, like, an element of just fun with you, like, we knew we were sort of in for something, like, interesting. Yeah. Well, I try my best. It's difficult because I've been teaching there now, uh, like 11, this is my 12th year, I think. So it's been quite a long time that I've been teaching there and it's a lot of the same subjects. So you have to try yeah. every now and again to try and do something a bit different with it or you'd lose your mind. Because you also, you studied there, didn't you? You done... I studied back when it was still college, um, again, many, many moons ago, uh, and then started teaching there again, back when it was still college. 
and then carried on yeah, through to Glasgow. Because you Melbourne. actually taught one of our other lecturers. Uh, yes, for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that we were always like, "What?" Because we, I don't think we actually realised that you like sort of left doing your HND, got your teaching qualification, then started almost right away. I did my teaching qualification on the job. Right. So yeah. So you came like straight out of the HND and was like, "I'm going to be a, a wicked lecturer." Well, it was supposed to be uh, a, a one year of maternity cover, and that was twelve years ago. I so mean, uh, I'm kind of glad that that fell through, and you sort of stayed there. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're glad because even though you have ripped me apart several times, which is always fun to get a ripping apart from Lee, I. I dreaded the days, like, if I didn't know a monologue fully or just wasn't 110% sure of it and you're like, oh, it's Leah, fuck. But as a result, how often did you come in not knowing a monologue? No, like, the only monologue that I actively have a memory of really struggling to get through was the medieval one. Mm -hmm. And I remember that was a struggle that we got through. I don't really know how we got through that. Probably just through me fucking, like, actually trying. But... I also have a mystery question that I didn't want to put in the outline yeah. because I didn't want you to sort of come up with a premeditated answer to like make me feel better about myself. Okay. So in first year, I came to you one day and told you that I had applied for Big Brother and got quite far. What was your honest, honest opinion of when I told you that? Well, first thought was, of course, it's bloody Ingram who's done this. <laughs> like there was no one else in that college that I knew that would have done this. Um, like someone could have said, by the way, someone out of your classes is going to do Big Brother, and I'd be like, "Well, it's obviously Ingram," so it didn't <laughs> surprise me in the slightest. Um, I think don't get me wrong; you'd have got lots of publicity from it, and um, if that's kind of what you wanted, and I feel like you're quite good with media, and you like things like, for example, you did a podcast right now. You like uh-huh. this idea of talking to people um, and being in the media. However, I think it would have been the end of your acting career. Yes, me too. I I sort of said I was upset for about two weeks because obviously I was that weirdo that watched Big Brother from when they were like seven please don't phone the social services on my mum and it was always just like a thing that I was like I'm gonna do it yeah and then obviously the first one so I was upset for about 10 minutes and then I was like I may have just massively dodged a bullet because I remember getting told I got the phone call and I was like oh I've got to email Leah and tell her like not to give another space away on the course next year because I'm coming back (laughs) I think it all depends what you wanted, though. There would have been positives and negatives either way. Um, oh, yeah, 100 uh, I also remember you sitting me down one day right before my um, my like final audition, and you were like... Because we didn't know whether I was just going to get taken. It was like right in the summer when we didn't know whether I was just going to go straight away. Mm-hmm. And I remember you sort of telling me, like, please do not have sex on television. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was two people that gave me that conversation. One was my mum and one was my acting lecturer. Yeah, well, it just, it changes how everyone sees you and you can never come yeah. back from it. Like, Do you know I just I mean? remember, because I thought you were, like, going to be, like, oh, like, good luck and that. And you just sort of sat me down and was like, don't have sex on television. Like, and I was like, okay. <laughs> never thought I'd have this conversation with you. Well, no, it's good advice. So, like I say, if you if no, you wanted any kind of career after that, it's very difficult when that's all people think of you. Oh no, definitely now. Looking back on it, it's been two years now, and like mm-hmm. I, I look at where other people are that have been on it, and I definitely I think I would have probably been in the same place I am now, no better off. 
with probably no hopes of ever being an actor. You'd have more people listening to your podcast. Oh, I'm going to force people to listen to this podcast. I'm going to force people, force feed them this podcast. But that is me come to the end of anything that I wanted to talk about. And I, I think we've spoke about the majority of you wanting to murder me for three years is still not quite sure how you managed to like let me walk out of there still breathing. Well, I think realistically, I only wanted to murder you for maybe about three months of that in total. You gave There was good stuff in between times. You just had your moments. Yeah, the, there was definitely moments that sort of always hit back and I'm like, oh, PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Uh, I've really enjoyed no having you. And I really didn't think when I sent you a Facebook message that you were going to, I thought you were going to be like, no go away leave me alone well you asked me just at the right time as i uh, was partway through a bottle of wine so i think it seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> and now you're like what the fuck have i done <laughs> <laughs> yes but thank you so much for coming on no my podcast bother. and i really hope we get to see each other in person soon hopefully at a theater yeah or an outdoor space yes well wherever i'm really not bothered <laughs> as long as i can start seeing people again yeah so everyone to everyone listening, thank you so much for coming back and I'll be back again next week with another episode and please feel free to hit that subscribe button and leave me a little rate and it all means the absolute world. So thank you very much for listening and bye-bye. Say bye, Leah. Bye.